Well, good morning. For those of you that are visiting, my name is Mark, and I appreciate you being here today. You got a guest card and a visitor card in front of you somewhere. Hopefully you do. If you would fill that out, that'd be great. I promise I won't come knocking on your door or anything and bother you and interrupt your privacy, but we would love to add you to our mailing list, let you know what's going on in uh, our church. I appreciate uh, getting to know you. If I haven't met you, uh, I'd love to meet you uh, after the service. We're in a series of sermons uh, on uh, family is worth a fight. And uh, we talked last week uh, concerning the most important fight, foundational fight, the core fight, and that's a fight that's within yourself. Uh, There's a battle within ourselves to go God's way or go our way. And that battle exists many times even after we accept Jesus as a savior of our life. Um, We still have a struggle. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. Take two steps forward, three steps back. Why do I do what I don't want to do and what I don't want to do? Do I do that? And there's a struggle for us as we want to be in control, but know that Jesus ought to be in control. So we talked about trying to win that biggest fight of all. And if you win that fight, if mom and dad wins that fight, if the kids win that fight, man, things will go a lot better in your family. It won't go perfect because there's people in that family that are um, not perfect themselves. But if, if you can settle that Jesus is Lord of your home and all the participants of that have, in that home have settled that, then things can go better for you. It's a foundational fight that Jesus is Lord, that you be sold out, that, that you lay your all off the altar, that you be totally committed, that you be all in, that you be sanctified, whatever type of terminology, that you be filled with God's Holy Spirit, whatever type of terminology that you put on that, almost all churches teach a certain secondness to your faith. And that's what we were talking about last week as the foundational fight. Now, I want to tell you something that a lot of Uh, of you have never heard before, and some of you will not like what I'm getting ready to say. And it'll take me 30 minutes to flesh it out for you. You may come to understanding of it. Can I tell you that if you are sold out, if you are all in in the Christian life, if Jesus is indeed Lord of your life, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're set apart and sanctified in your Christian life, can I tell you that that's not enough? Too many times in our churches, Nazarene church is especially guilty of this, that we somehow make some type of decision that you make at an altar the end all in your Christian life. We somehow make some kind of a a first decision, second decision, third or fourth decision where you're sold out, where you're totally committed to Christ, where you're all in, whether you're sanctified. We try to make that the, the end all and everything else will be like just a roller coaster ride to heaven. And that is not the truth at all. The, that, that decision to be all in in your Christian life is so valuable, but that's just, there's a whole lot left after that. And that's what we're going to talk about today because in the theology of the book of Romans, Paul in Romans 7 has this fight in his, inside of his own spirit. Why do I do what I don't want to do and what I don't want to do, I do. And then in Romans chapter 8, as an answer to that, he says, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, 15 times in the next 16 verses after that fight, he talks about Holy Spirit, 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 Spirit. But then four chapters later, after he's got us already filled with the Spirit, he says, do not conform. Those are kind of fighting words, aren't they? (laughs) Do not conform to the pattern of this world, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I'm trying to tell you today that 
being sold out to Jesus is wonderful and being all in is great and being completely surrendered is great. Whatever type of terminology you want to put on it, but it's not enough. Being filled with the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter eight, Paul said it was not enough because then he goes in Romans chapter two and says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I don't know what it's called when you get older, but what it was called when you were 13, 14, 15 was peer pressure. I don't know what you call it when you're 30 and 40. And there's a pattern of this world that wants to push you into its mold and you see it on billboards and you read it in magazines and it's on social media and all the TV stations and all the TV shows try to push you into their pattern. And Paul says, now that you're, now that you're all in, now that you made Jesus Lord of your life, here's how you work that out. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world press you down into its mold. A Christian is a nonconformist. One of the most radical things that you could ever do in your life is to be a Christian. It truly is. One of the most radical things you could ever do in your life is to become a Christian. One of the most rebellious things that you could ever do in your life is to become a Christian. And I'm just not talking about a Christian that's waving his ticket to heaven. I'm talking about a Christian that takes God's word seriously and is all in, sold out to Jesus, completely devoted. Some churches have a mission statement that says we're here to make holy, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Doesn't, doesn't just hear, say that we're here to make followers of Jesus Christ. We're here to make holy, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And Apostle Paul says, after you are wholly devoted, do not conform any longer. Those are fighting words. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Can I tell you all something? Can I tell you kids something? Being a Christian is not cool. It's just not. At least in the eyes of the world. At least in the eyes of the world, it's not cool. You know, I, I've been out of high school 42 years now. I graduated high school in 1976. And I've never ever, yeah, somebody said, you're really old, aren't you? Yeah, I know that. <laughs> Love y'all very much. Um, I, um, I've never gone back to a, a high school reunion. They've had them ever 10 years, five years. I guess ever five years at first, then every 10 years. Um, I've never gone back. And I'm not, say, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's really weirdness that's inside of me. I know it is. But I've never gone back because... I'm not that person anymore. They're going, I just don't mix and mesh well with them anymore. I know I probably should. And, and I'm not saying that's really good of me. I'm just being confessional here. I, that's not me anymore. And I see the pictures of their reunions and they're having a grand and glorious good time. And that's okay, I guess. But it's not me anymore. I don't mix I don't conform to that anymore. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't go with the flow. Don't just lift, lift your feet up and let you drift along with the way of this world. You, 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 you know what it is. I don't have to spell out all the tens of hundreds of ways of this world. You feel it at your work. You feel it in your family. You hear it on every TV show. Here are the ways of the world. 
And Paul says, you sold out Christian? That don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. <laughs> but be transformed. Don't conform, but be transformed. Don't, don't be the same as everybody else, but be different. Be transformed. That, that, that Greek word that we translate transform shows up in one, one other place in Scripture, and it's on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. It's a really weird passage of Scripture, and I don't even understand it. But somehow Jesus takes three of his followers up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and somehow in, in front of him, he, he, his body changes into his glorified heavenly body. And I don't get that. I don't understand it. I don't even know what purpose it serves. But Matthew 17 says that Jesus was transfigured. Same word. Same exact word that Paul uses here and gets translated transformed. We take that Greek word and bring it into English and it's the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, a total change. And you remember in your seventh or eighth grade biology class, it's that process that turns a caterpillar into a butterfly. Apostle Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Do they still make silly putty? Do they still make silly putty? Don't conform. Silly putty, what to do? It just conforms to whatever you put it, anything. Don't conform any longer. That's hard for some people because some people don't have a backbone. And some people can't look at a friend and say no. And, and, and that's really hard for some people. But Christians are nonconformists and we're, we try to be gracious about it and we try to be kind about it and all that. But don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And we get gung-ho people and we say, yes, that's what I'm going to do. I don't want to conform. I want to be transformed. And we go to camp and the, yeah, we love Jesus. We, yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And we're just fired up for Jesus. And we come at the altar and we, we dedicate and we promise and we commit and then we rededicate and then we re-promise and recommit and then we rededicate our rededication and we sign cards and raise hands and we promise and we're going to do better and we resolve and it it don't work and we're we're we see things in our lives that we don't really like but we've, we're sold out and we promised and we dedicated and rededicated and rededicated our rededication and signed the card and raised the hand and did everything the youth pastor told us to do and everything the pastor told us to do. And you hear a message from me and you get all excited about it and you say yes in your spirit. But somehow when you leave here, it's hard for you to follow through with that. You were just expecting to be transformed. You just thought that you're going to come to an altar of prayer and God was just going to take you with his holy baseball bat and knock some sense into you and be transformed but that's not what scripture says. You know, that doesn't work. Trying hard doesn't work. You, you, your diet would have worked if that was the problem. Exactly. Your exercise program would have worked if that was the problem. See, the problem is, 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 is not that you're not dedicated enough. The problem is that you don't think right. Because your behavior is a function of what's between your ears. 
So that's why the Apostle Paul doesn't say, be transformed by coming to the altar. Be transformed by dedicating your life. Be transformed by being sold out. All that is well and good. It's a starting point. In the church of Nazarene, we, we have a revivalistic culture and we invite people to the altar and we have crisis moments and all those are well and all those are good. But man, there's a lot after that. And the Apostle Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be transformed by dedicating and rededicating and rededicating your rededication and resolving and promising and sign, signing cards and all that may be well and good. It's what goes on between your ears that's the issue. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in fact, if you let me bore you just for a second, the, the, where, where we get the, the, the English word be transformed, I said that was... Uh, where we get the word metamorphosis. That, can I t- really get real geeky on you for a second? In the Greek, that's in the passive voice. Nobody said amen to that. <laughs> it's in the passive voice. That means it's something you allow to happen to you, not something you go out and force. So I'm transformed as I renew my mind. So I'm going to be transformed and I'm going to be transformed before you are. I'm going to be more transformed than you are. I'm so dedicated. I'm so sincere. That's wonderful. Good. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But that being transformed is a passive word. And you're transformed as you renew your mind. It's wonderful to, to, to preach last week. And what I preached last week has to be foundational. But there's so much more after your Christian experience than when you get filled with the Spirit. There's so much more after your Christian experience than when you get sanctified. There's so much more after your Christian experience than when you're all in or sold out or dedicated. Because you can be a sincere, sold out, dedicated Christian, but still struggle in your Christian life if you're messed up between your ears. And you have not renewed your mind. In the first service, I listed about eight scriptures right now that talked about the importance of our mind. But I preached too long and I'm going to leave them all out except for one. That's found in John chapter 8. Okay? John chapter 8 says, if you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you're dedicated enough, that dedication will set you free. If you grit your teeth and try hard enough, that will set you free. If you come to the altar enough, that will set you free. No, if you know the truth and you take out the stinking thinking, that's the pattern of this world, and replace it with godly thinking, that is, that, that is the sum total of the Christian life. Yes, you need to be all in. Of course you do. Yes, you need to have a crisis moment. Of course you do. Yes, you need to be sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, totally dedicated, sold out to Jesus. But... What happens after I did that when I was 18? I just ride the roller coaster to heaven now. I do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. You got to think. Let me make up a word here, okay? You got to think Christianly. It's not even a word. I know it's not. You got to think like a Christian. You can't think like the world. The world has taught you to think like herself, but you've got to change that and you've got to renew your mind. To renew literally means to restore. 
Now, you, you restore a piece of furniture. I don't know much about that. I watch my wife do it. She does it really, really well. Don't want to inter- interfere with that at all. She does it really, really good. <laughs> you notice what I notice about her restoring? She takes the old off first. And that's why the Bible says in some places it says to put off and put on. Put off the old man. Put off the old man and put on. And and that restoring process that Sue does on that furniture takes time. She can be so dedicated as she wants to. She can try so hard, but it still takes time. She's got to take it off. And you got to put it back on. And a lot of people get frustrated because this is a process that does take time. And you just don't get hit over the head with a holy baseball bat when you're at the altar and, and, and you're thinking is suddenly renewed and and transformed. No, it's time. It took a lot of time for you to think like the pattern of this world. It'll take you time to take that off and put a new on. And you can't get frustrated with that. We used to sing, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. You know what happens when Sue doesn't take the old off of that piece of furniture and she puts the new on top of the old? What happens? It peels off. And I think that's what a lot of people, sincere, devoted people have done. They've come to an altar and they've sold out to Jesus. But they wonder why that comes off And it comes off because they didn't take the old off first. They didn't go through that process of taking out the stinking thinking and putting godly thinking in there. Your behavior is a function of what you think. Of what you think. I've got 20 extra pounds right here. That's not a function of my behavior. You see, I have a McDonald's that I have to drive past on the way home. (laughs) And sometimes I think, man, I'm kind of down and had a bad day. A quarter pounder will make me feel a lot better. (laughs) That's a thinking problem, friends. That's a thinking problem. Can I say it again? Can I say something that sounds very non-Nazarene? Even even non-Christian. Being sold out is not enough. Being totally dedicated is not enough. Laying your all at the altar is not enough. You've got to change the way you think. That's a starting point. That is an unbelievably important point, an unbelievably important decision you make. We call it a crisis moment in the the church of Nazarene. But man, there's a whole lot after that. And so people say things like, is being filled with the Spirit, is, is it a one-time event or is it continual? Uh, yes. <laughs> is being sanctified a one-time event or is it continual? Yes. Yes. And can I say, well-meaning people in our church have put too much emphasis on what goes on here and not enough emphasis on what goes on Monday through Saturday. And so we count the heads at the altar and I preached a good sermon because there's 12 people here. And what I should really 
count as the success of my sermon is what happens Monday morning when you punch in work at eight o'clock. There's the true success. But since I'm, we're egotists, we're proud as pastors and we like, oh, I've done a real good job today, look. And we discount the, so, be renewed. Let's pray, go home. There's, that'd be easy to do, but in this fight for our mind that makes our families better, let me give you some lies that are told about the family. I don't know where these lies come from. The Bible says the, the devil is a liar. I've told you many times before that the devil can't make you do anything. The only thing he can do is lie to you. See, it's here. He lies to you. And the battle is, will you believe, it's the same battle that happened in Genesis 3, will you believe him or the devil or will you believe God? And, and if you settled that fight that I'm going to believe God, then that's a huge issue in your life. But you've got to know that that's false. You've got to know what he's saying is wrong. And a lot of people don't know it because they hear the world too much. They hear the pattern of the world too much. And it's tough for them to distinguish between the pattern of this world and God's word because they haven't renewed their mind with the truth of God's word. So I'm going to list you here some lies or some um, examples of the pattern of this world, or even some Christian lies that, that some people say. And I'm just going to say it's not true. When, and all these have to do with the family and the fight for the mind that is so, so important in our Christian life. We could, we could, I, could, I could do a sermon on each one of these, but so I'm not going to do any of them justice. Okay? And there's, there's, there's a whole lot more than the seven I've got listed up here. And, and I want to let you go before three o'clock. Okay, here we go. That's a lie. If I find the right person, everything will be okay. All right, so if you're single, if I find the, just find the right person. If you're Divorced, if I just don't make the same mistake I made last time. If you're widowed and you're still may want to remarry, if I just, this time I'm going to do better than I, if I can just find the right person. Wrong, 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 wrong. At least in a Christian understanding, it's wrong. Oh, you, you go open up your magazines, listen to The View, listen to Oprah Winfrey, listen to all them. But according to God's word, the right person's not the issue. The issue is me being the right person. That's the issue. The issue is becoming the right person. Not trying to find the right person. Where is that person that I can find? No, it's me becoming the right. Let me tell you, if you, if you bump into the right person and you aren't the right person yourself, that right person don't want anything to do with you. They don't want anything to do with you. If I met Sue two years before I did, one year before I did, she wouldn't have given me a second look. I still had the great same physique that I always had. <laughs> but I hadn't yet been renewed. I wasn't the right person for her. You can spend all your life if you want to looking for the right person. 
the Christian understanding of that is you be the right person. You be the right person. I, I wrote something down here that is, is really confusing. And I, I, may, I may not, I'm, maybe I should leave it out, but I, I, th- I think there's wisdom in here. But you may have to wade through my clumsiness in my language. If you will become the person, if you will become the person you are looking for, is looking for. Did you get that? If you will become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for, watch God work. If you will become the person that you're looking for is looking for, whoa, watch God work. But it's not just the right, and can can I dispel something here? I don't know where it is in the Bible that God says he's already got your mate picked out. Now, in the providence of God, who knows the future, he knows what you're going to do, but he leaves it up to you. He has an overarching thing that you must marry within the Christian faith. Do not be unequally yoked. I had two people in my office this week who had mega problems in their life simply because they disobeyed that. And you could stand here one by one and say, because I disobeyed that, my marriage is not what it should be. My guy's okay, my gal's okay, I don't want to divorce them, but there's something missing in our marriage, and that missing is you're unequally yoked. And, and, and you, you, you defied the truth. Marriage is hard enough when you're equally yoked. Come on. But when you don't have equality at the very core of your being, how in the world is it supposed to work? How in the world is true intimacy supposed to happen? So you can, you can focus on finding the right person. You can go on Christian Mingle and eHarmony and all those. And they, they probably serve a purpose. But the real deal is becoming the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for. Because if I happen to bump into that person, I'm not that person, that person will leave. Not interested in me. Because for the Christian, it's not about outward appearance. Here's another one that's a lie. I will change him. I will change her. <laughs> You're whistling to the graveyard, man. If, if there are, is there something about the person, single person I'm talking to right now, if there's something about that person that bothers you so much that you're going to have to get at your tool belt and fix him or her after you get married, you better run right now. Because you know what? You ain't fixing him. You ain't fixing her. Who do you think you are? That you can fix somebody? You're the fixer. 
we don't marry perfect mates. There's not a perfect spouse out there for you nowhere. And you know that. And if you can't live with those imperfections, you better run. Because those imp- once you move in together and start having life together and the stress of life together and then have kids, all of those imperfections are going to multiply. And you thought you could change him. Last night at date night, we had 12 couples or so come and I was helping out with the babysitting last night. You better watch it when you ask me to babysit because I'll sit and ask your kids questions now. I really will. I find out a lot about families on on date night. I really do. And so I got talking to these eight-year-old girls about the type of guy they're going to marry. And one of them said, oh, he's got to love Jesus. And then another one said there, yeah, but I can, I can, I can, I can lead him to Jesus. No, no. Dating is no arena for evangelism. No, because when you open the door to dating and you open the door to attraction and hormones and all that gunk, your sense, good sense flies out the window. Here's another myth up here. (laughs) If we have kids, they'll make us happy and fulfilled. (laughs) 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 Woo! They're little boogers. I mean, they're, they're hard. And I love the two I want, but I don't want any more of them. (laughs) And if somehow our marriage is going to get better by bringing kids into the world, you need a lobotomy, man, I tell you. Because most of us know that our marriage has more stress put on it when kids come into this world. Kids serve a marvelous purpose, and we need to do a sermon one day on the purpose of the family and what biblically is a purpose. Why do you have kids biblically? It ain't to make you happy (laughs) and to make you more fulfilled. I'm so thankful for the smiles that my boys bring on my face, and I'm so thankful for those two or three seconds a day when we all get along real good and... (laughs) happy and fulfilled other reasons for having kids Christian reason we'll talk talk about that one day and 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 as a subset under this one I don't know friends 22 years in in the pastor and in the marriage counseling room I just see parents running around with like the chicken with their head cut off trying to get their kids in everything because if their kids are in everything, then they'll be well-adjusted and happy kids. 
I see parents sometimes, it seems like the kids are the number one thing in their life. When your spouse is the number one thing in your person in your life. I tell my boys all the time that I love Sue more than I love them. Now, of course, it's a different type of love. Well, Sue was here before they were. The core of our family is, is after our relationship with God, it's, my, it's Sue and me. And, and then anything that goes on good after that flows out of that. And let me tell you, if that's not right, there's not too much else right in the family. And, and, and you can come up with all these things like, well, mom and daddy don't get along, but we love our kids. Well, I'll tell you. I'm, ta- I'm talking to you about not, not buying into the pattern of this world. I'm talking about not being pressed down like silly putty and being molded to what the world thinks. Here's another one. If I only had blank, then I'd be satisfied. If we only had, then we'd be satisfied. Then our family would be great. I remember, what is it, six years ago, seven years ago now that we bought Mac and Sylvia's house and it was a nice home and my dad never owned a home like that and you know, I, I was kind of proud of it. I really was. Now it's just a house. Electric bill's too, bit, too large. Just a house. In fact, there's been thinking in my mind, property values have escalated so much. We've got a good bit of equity in the, that house. I've been thinking in my mind to take the equity out of that house and go down, take a smaller house and reduce or drastic, cut out our house payment or drastically reduce it because it's not what it was cracked up to be. I'm, gl- I'm glad for what God has provided for us. I'm glad for the blessing of that. I, but you see, your appetites are never satisfied. That's the purpose of an appetite. You're n- it's never satisfied. And, and, and if, if for some reason my appetites are from for worldly things and somehow bringing my satisfaction in that. It's an endless process. My appetites are never satisfied. I know that because of tattoos. Because I, I never know too many people to get one tattoo. And, and I'm all for it. I don't care about tattoos. You can go out and get tattooed all you want to. I, I love tattoos as long as they're not on me. I just love them. But what I see for people is they get one, then they get an, one that is a little better, and then another one that's a a little better. See, it's our appetites are not satisfied. The Bible calls them lust. And we use that word lust in a bad way. Lust is not a bad way. It depends on what you're lusting. <laughs> lust is not, lust is just like your appetite. Our appetites are not satisfied. And that's cause whatever I get is not going to make my family better. And I have to understand that in my mind. And there's nothing wrong with upgrading. I got a van, it's got 150,000 miles on it. We're going to trade that in sooner or later. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I've got to know that it's suddenly not going to make me satisfied. It's not going to make our family a whole lot better. It's not going to make my life better. I'm not going to feel fulfilled and like I've made it. 
Here's one that's closely related to it. This is a lie, friends. I can't afford it. Mm. Billions of dollars a year are spent convincing you you can't afford it. Billions of dollars a year are spent saying, you need this and I'll make sure you can afford it. Yes, you probably can afford it. Yes, you probably can make ends meet. Yes, you can make a checkbook balance at the end of the month with all of these payments. But what is it that you're losing in your life? What is it that you're having to set aside? Oh, one of the biggest lies that is the pattern of this world sells you is you can afford it. It'll just be 78 monthly payments of $316. You can afford that. And you probably can't afford that. You can. But what has to be sacrificed that you can afford it? By the grace of God, Sue and I have reached a point in our life that we're living off about 75% of what we make. tithe about 12 and a half percent and we save about 12 and a half percent. I can afford a lot of things. I got 25% of discretionary income. I could afford a lot of things, but that would leave some things that are more important out that would put stress on me, that put stress on the bank account. Oh, don't buy into that. You can afford it. It's a lie of the world, friends. It's a lie of the world. Ah, there's nothing wrong with upgrading. There's nothing wrong with getting a new this or new that, all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. But just because you can swing it in your budget, just because you can make ends meet, just because you can, get, there's, you can get that budget to balance at that end doesn't mean you can afford it. There are more important things in the Christian realm than just making that budget come out to be even at the end of the month. It's a pattern of this world. How many billions of dollars are spent convincing you you can afford it? Convincing you first that you need it or want it. Everybody, all the cool people have it. And you just have to work it out. And here's how you can work it out. I, I think we have two more, then we're going home. Here's, here's a lie. My secret is safe with me. Whatever secrets you bring into the family, whatever secrets you bring into to your marriage, let me tell you something that Andy Stanley taught me. Listen, secrets seep. Whatever secrets you brought in, whatever thing that you're ashamed about that you don't want to tell anybody, whatever personal default or whatever personal weakness that you have that you hope nobody else finds out. Let me tell you, when you get living with someone and the stress comes on and you, and you got a lot of stress because after all, you can afford it. And you got a lot of stress and you got kids because they make you happy and fulfilled. And you got all this stress, your secrets seep and who you are really comes out. Whether that's some kind of addiction to this or addiction to that or addiction to that or addiction to this. Or whether that's just a secret that you handle money poorly, you keep that secret 
to yourself. My wife will never know. My husband will never know. It'll never affect the family. Can I tell you, secrets seep. Deal with that secret. Deal with that secret. Because when you get in the, the marriage, it just all hangs out. And the only way, only way that secret may be kept, which it doesn't happen this way, if one spouse keeps it all inside, and then if one spouse is keeping it all inside, the other spouse is all disappointed because the other spouse, they don't have the intimacy and they don't have the communication. Secrets seep, friends. Secrets seep. Now here's the last one. You complete me. <laughs> What's his name? Tom Cruise and, and Jerry Maguire. You complete me. And her knees just. <laughs> It's a movie. What a bunch of hogwash. You complete me. I don't want the burden of completing Sue. I can't handle that burden. I have enough trouble trying to be complete with my relationship with Jesus. And then I got to complete Sue. I may compliment her is the biblical understanding. She may compliment me is the biblical understanding. But why in the world would you want to marry a person who you have to complete them? And what happens, what happens in five years when you get divorced and they completed you? What happens when they die? But it sounds so good. Life is not a movie. Marriage is not a movie. Marriage is not fantasy land. It's hard. It's work. And Tom Cruise don't know nothing about it because he's been married four times. <laughs> I, I could continue with the pattern of this world as it relates to family. But I just came to tell you today, there's a fight for your mind. There's a fight for your mind. And the Bible says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And how? By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. That's why Sunday school classes, small groups, ladies Bible study, men's Bible studies, accountability groups. Man, that's why they're really important. 
because you can apply God's word. I wouldn't give you a rip for a Bible study that just had me memorizing scripture and taught me some Bible if it didn't have me applying it to my life. You ought to fire me tomorrow if I preach messages that somehow don't apply to your life. What good is it if it, if it don't function in your life in some way? The truth, the truth will set you free after you take off and put on. What was the karate kid? Wax on. Wax on. If you don't take it off before you put it on, the new will rub off. And some of you know that. It won't last no matter how dedicated you are and how sold out to Jesus. You can be sanctified and you are being sanctified. Both are true. You can be filled with the Spirit, and you are being filled with the Spirit. Both are true and equally important. You can have a moment that you're sold out to Jesus, and you are continually being sold out to Jesus. Both are continually important as you renew your mind. Our servers are coming to the table. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. We talked about that four or five weeks ago. And with Jesus comes the truth. With Jesus just doesn't come forgiveness and highway to heaven. Comes the truth. And that truth has to get in and change the way you think. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to memorize books of the Bible. But you have got to deal with the truth of God's word and stop thinking like the world thinks, like your coworkers want you to think, like some of your families want you to think, like the TV tells you to think, like the Dayton Daily News tells you to think, like the view tells you to think, and all those other patterns of this world, and be renewed by interaction and application to God's word in your life. Be a nonconformist, be a nonconformist. Father, it uh, goes against the grain of some of us to say it's not good enough to just come to the altar and be sold out. But I, Father, have just met many sold out sincere Christians that they don't think right. I just pray in Jesus' name for some people, they'll start the lifelong process of renewing their mind, taking out the stinking thinking and substituting godly thinking. Help them to be patient with that and to know that it takes time. But they might as well start today. In Jesus' name, amen.